Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Elizabeth. Uh, the reading from James chapter 5, verse 7 to 12. Patience in suffering. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Thank you. So unfortunately, there's a couple of people sick today, which means that you've got me both for leading the gathering and for our sermon today. So... Apologies for that. Uh, I want to start today with a question, and the question is this. uh, Why bother with Christianity? Why bother with following Jesus? Let me tell you why I'm asking this question. So I I want to tell you about uh, some people I know who are, these are Christian people, right? First first is a friend of mine, a guy in his 20s, a Christian guy serving at his church, very involved, uh, but he's got chronic depression, he, this chronic depression is the kind that can leave him bedridden for days on end. He can't hold down a job because of this. He, he hasn't been able to keep a relationship going through it. He's in what many of us would consider the prime of his life, but he's facing a life of unemployment, loneliness, and, and crippling illness. What can his faith really offer him? Why bother? With Christianity. Let me tell you about another man I know, a man in his 40s, he's an elder at his church. Uh, his wife got a young daughter, she's kind of primary school aged, and he's diagnosed with cancer. And church, so, church you know, does what church should, right? They pray, they pray, they pray for him. But it becomes clear that he's, he's going to die. So, as he lies there on his deathbed, in his great moment of crisis, What good has his faith been to him? Why bother with Christianity? Let's see about another another couple I know of. uh, They're in their 40s, married with kids. He's the pastor of a church. She's heavily involved in the church ministry. And suddenly one of their kids grows ill. This kid's just primary school age, 10 or or 11. Grows ill and eventually he dies. If Jesus does nothing in that moment... Why bother with Christianity? I don't know if you've ever had that question. But the people James is writing to in this letter, I wonder if they would have asked that as well. We just heard, Liz just read out from the book of James for us. It's part of the Bible, written by James. Um, James is Jesus' older brother. Uh, sorry, not his old. James is Jesus' younger brother. Uh, he's become a pastor of a church in Jerusalem. He's writing to people who used to be part of his church, but 
See, in Jerusalem, they got persecuted, and so they had to flee from the city. They've scattered all over the place uh, just to save their skins. And in their moment of crisis, I wonder if they asked that question as well. Why bother with this? Why bother with Christianity at all? Again, I wonder, have you ever asked this question? I mean, just think of the lives these people are now facing, right? They're vulnerable. They've had to start life all over again in a completely new place, different customs, different norms. And who knows if what happened to them before in Jerusalem, who knows if that's just not going to happen again, that they have to rip up their lives and start all over somewhere again. Actually, we do get hints throughout the letter of James that the new lives that these guys are living, they're, they're not you know, going all that well. So back in chapter 1, we heard they're actually going through many different kinds of trials. In chapter 2, we heard that the rich were exploiting them and dragging them into court. And just last week in chapter 5, we, we heard more about these rich people, that they're kind of oppressing those who are less well off. They're not paying them wages. They're, they're rigging the system against the poor. And probably many of the people who James are writing to They're those who are being oppressed. They're the victims of this oppression from the rich. So here's a bunch of people who may very rightly be thinking, why bother with this stuff ever since we decided to follow Jesus? What's gone right for us? Why bother? Interestingly, James doesn't ask that question of them. Instead, in this passage that we just heard from, James tells them something different. He he says, this is what he says to them. He says, your situation needs patient waiting. You guys need to patiently wait. It's a very different perspective to come at it from, isn't it? Not why bother, but patiently wait. You see, this is what James says exactly in verse 7. So, verse 7, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. You know, your situation is not good, but but don't give up. Jesus is coming back. It's going to happen, so wait patiently for him. It's the kind of thing that James says again in verse 10. He's writing to people who are suffering, and James points out some other people who had suffered, but didn't give up. So, he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. There are quite a number of prophets in the Old Testament, and James doesn't point us to any particular one prophet, because actually this is the way that most of the prophets live their lives. Most of them suffered. I wanted us just to take a look at one there. For our sake, we'll look at the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived about 700 years or so before James was writing. Uh, he spoke God's word, but the people of the time, they didn't want to hear it. And this got Jeremiah into quite a bit of trouble. So these are some of the things that happened to Jeremiah. At one point in his life, someone, uh, a group of people made a plot to kill him, but it failed, thankfully. At another time, Jeremiah was beaten and then put into the stocks for a day and actually left him in there overnight. At another point, an angry mob nearly killed him. Uh, Later, he got in prison. Then he was thrown into like a deep, empty well that was muddy at the bottom. He drops down, he sinks into the mud, and he's basically left for dead to starve to death, all at the approval of the king. 
Towards the end of his life, Jeremiah was taken to Egypt, but not on a fun little all-expenses-paid holiday. No, no, he was taken against his will, and it's probably that he, 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 it's probable that he died there. See, Jeremiah was a prophet of the Lord God Almighty, but that doesn't mean he had a fun life or a comfortable life. In fact, Jeremiah is often called um, the weeping prophet. It's because all this stuff would happen to him, and he would cry out to God about it. He'd say, God, why is this happening? This isn't nice. He's not crazy. He doesn't like this life that he's, that he's living. But does he give up at all? Does he call it quits and toss it all in? No. Not once. And so James points his readers to prophets, people like Jeremiah. Because they're examples of what to do to patiently wait. Even in the midst of suffering, to patiently wait. Anyone here grew up on a farm? Yeah, one, two, got a few. Okay, another one over here. Uh, you people who've grew up, grown up on farms, I've got a question for you. Ready? So, say you're a farmer and you plant your crops, and then then you're waiting for it to rain so the crops will go. So the crops will grow. Okay, what can you do to make it rain? Rain down. Did you grow up on a farm, <laughs> What can you do to make it rain? Nothing. Nothing, right? Uh, and my guess is you don't need to be a farmer to know that either, yeah? Um, all you can do as a farmer is to wait patiently for the rain. Look again at verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. All the farmer can do is patiently wait. And James says to the people back then, that's got to be you too. Patiently wait. Not for rain, but patiently wait for Jesus to return. That's the situation there back in back then. And, and I think our situation is not the same as theirs, right? We're not going through the same kind of things, having to move away because of religious persecution or one thing or another. Our situation is not exactly the same as theirs, but hear this, our situation needs patient suffering too. And patient waiting too, rather. We too need to patiently wait. Because there are things that are going to come at us that will make us ask, why bother? Why bother with the whole thing? I've talked to you about some people earlier on. But think of yourself. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe health issues, troubles in the family, relationship issues. Perhaps you've been the victim of abuse. Perhaps life just has not worked out well for you like you'd hoped. Our problems might differ to theirs, but the answer is the same in both cases. We need to patiently wait for Jesus' return. Are you ready to do that? We live in a world of instant gratification, right? Where we can't even wait till next week for the next episode on the TV show. So we invent these streaming services where we can just watch one after the other, after the other, after the other. We love instant gratification. How good are we at patiently waiting? But you know what else stops? You know what else stops us doing this? 
often it's not the big problems in life. That, they'll come. But often what stops us waiting patiently is that we just get distracted. Distracted by our careers, by our hobbies, by the nice things in our world, by, by, by life just kind of filling up with stuff. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things. Often these things are really good things. It's just that slowly over time, our eyes get taken off waiting patiently and our attention is given to the here and now. I feel like being part of a book club is about the most boring thing you can do, right? But lo and behold, I'm part of a book club and I, f I think we must be the most boring book club in the world. Let me tell you, we read books written by Puritan theologians from 300 years ago. No one's excited to join, are they? No, I didn't think so. But recently we read this little nugget. Um, it's called Stop Loving the World. Can I read a little bit to you from it? He writes, Why has God set me in this world? Is it to get riches and honours, to have pleasures and gratify my lusts? No, it is to glorify his name and to work out my own salvation. Now, when I make this my main business, I use the world rightly. Therefore, seek grace. Work out your salvation. Get assurance and clear evidences for an eternal good condition. This pursuit must be your main job here in the world. But many look at heaven and the things of God as secondary things, looking after the world as their main business. Now, he's a pretty straight shooter, right? But you, you get his, he makes a good point. What do we consider our, our main business in life? Is it to make gains in the here and now? Or is it to pursue an eternal good? Are we waiting patiently for Jesus to come back? Now, of course, you could be here this morning and you're not really sure about this whole Jesus thing and the idea of Jesus coming back. Well, you're not convinced he even came back from the dead, so why would he come back to, to earth? You could even be here as a Christian, someone who calls yourself a Christian. But if you're honest... It's a little bit hard to think that Jesus is actually going to come back into the world. Like I know we talk about it all the time, but the days just keep rolling on and nothing much changes. So how can Christians be so sure that Jesus will return? What, what, what convinces us that waiting patiently is actually a good idea? Um, can I say, there's quite a bit to say about this. Um, we talked a little bit about this last week. I want to go into a bit more. Just, just today, let's follow the story of James' life. So James, he, he wrote this letter that we've been reading today. Um, let's, let's, in his life, so he grew up, he's the younger brother of Jesus. He, so he grew up with Jesus around. He knows Jesus pretty well. But it might surprise you, James was not always a believer in Jesus. In fact, when Jesus and James were grown men and Jesus was kind of going around doing his ministry, all the stuff we read about in the Bible, James didn't really believe any of what Jesus was saying. One time he mocked Jesus for saying the kind of things he did. Another time he, he tried to persuade Jesus to stop going around and doing what he was doing. 
He thought Jesus was out of his mind. That's at one point in James's life. Then fast forward a few years, and you've actually got James in a very different situation. He's the pastor of a church in Jerusalem. In fact, he's, he's one of the most significant people in the early Christian movement. And you've got to think to yourself, well, why? What's changed? What's happened in between to change James this dramatically? Can I say, it's not because he wanted to be a rich celebrity pastor with a trendy Instagram profile and his own personal jet to fly around. There's no such thing as a celebrity pastor back then. It wasn't even because James thought, well, this is a nice way to make a decent living. I can cash in off my brother's popularity. Because there, there was, no one made a decent living by being a pastor back then. In fact, can I say, as far as I can tell, there, there's, there's no benefit to James at all in making this decision. If anything, this only brings him more harm in his life. Just think of the people he's writing to. Remember, they've had to scatter out of the city because they've been persecuted. Uh, if, if, if the people in the church were persecuted, how much more the leader in the church? In fact, we know uh, at the end that James' life came to an end when, when they finally got to him. He was martyred. James doesn't make this change in his life because it benefits him. He goes from like mocking unbelief to being sold out for Jesus. Why? Quite simply, it's because in between he met Jesus risen from the dead. And this was not a hallucination that James could pass off as if it just oh, it didn't really happen, did it? Uh, th this was his brother, the one he didn't believe in and had mocked before. The one who he'd seen die and been put into a tomb. It's this same brother now stands in front of him alive. And it changes James completely. He's convinced. Jesus actually is who he says he is. And so when Jesus says to James, I'm going to go to heaven and come back again. I will return. James doesn't make the same mistake twice. He doesn't doubt Jesus again. Because when Jesus says that to James, he's convinced. After all, if Jesus can come back from the dead, do you really think that he can't go to heaven and return to earth? Now, I get that you're not James, right? You didn't see and touch and hear and talk with Jesus. But James did and that's part of what he's written down here, why he's written these things down for us. So we might know. You might have questions still, and I get that. that makes sense. But I want to say to you, don't just leave it there. Check things out a bit, eh? Maybe read the accounts in the Bible of what happened for yourself. Che check it against what other people at the time said. Find a Christian that you trust and ask them your questions I, just don't leave it there as if this, no, nah, it couldn't have happened. It won't happen. Do something because the Lord is coming. Jesus is coming back. And so we need to wait patiently. Right? That's what James is saying so far. But he goes on, he gives us two reasons of, of why it's worth, why to wait patiently. Why would you do that? We're going to look at them now. Uh, the first is this. Why wait patiently? Because the Lord's coming is near. Uh, you can see this in verse 8. 
James writes, you to be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Now, you might hear that and you might think, well, no, it's not actually. I mean, Jesus' return it clearly wasn't near. James wrote this 2,000 years ago and, well, Jesus still hasn't come back today. So, no, the Lord's coming is not near. Have you, have you heard what um, Peter said about this? So Peter was uh, another follower of Jesus back in the day. He, he lived around the same time as James. And he wrote a letter that's in the Bible. Um, he's responding to people who are saying, Jesus won't come back. Look, he's been gone so long. Nothing's changed. He's not coming back. So this is what one thing that Peter says. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He says, but don't forget this. Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So really, it's only been a weekend since Jesus died, right? That was a bad joke, I know. I can tell from your lack of laughter. Um, but seriously, no, that, that's not really James's argument. Um, for Peter and for James, in fact, all across the New Testament, a lot of people will say, the Lord's coming is near. But they don't mean it near in the sense that he's going to be here today or tomorrow or, or, or maybe the day after. When they say the Lord's coming is near, it, it's, a, it's a theological understanding of time, of the time that we live in. Let me explain here. The, in the New Testament calls what we live in as the last days. So... Um, there's the, all the stuff that happened in the Old Testament. Then Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. And then we're waiting for Jesus to come back. And everything in between there is called, the New Testament calls it the last days. The Bible doesn't tell us how long this is going to go on for. But there's one thing we do know. Okay, from where we are in our point in history, what is the next big thing that God has promised will happen? It's, 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 it's Jesus' return. So in that sense, the Lord's coming is near. From, from James and Peter, who lived around the same time as Jesus, to, to right through to us today, every generation of Christian believers, we've rightly lived as if Jesus' return could happen at any moment. So you're saying the, the, the Lord's coming is near, friends. It is the next thing that God has said will happen in this world. The Lord's coming is near. And if the Lord's coming is near, what does it mean? Well, the appropriate, the right way to live in response is patiently waiting for that to happen. It's actually a second reason why to wait patiently. Why, why, why should we do this? Why not just give up? Why bother? James says, but wait patiently because it's worth it. Wait patiently. It's actually worth it. So get verse 11 with me. James writes, as, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Waiting patiently, persevering, it's worth it because those who do are blessed. And James points us to Job. Do you know, do you know the story of Job's life? 
let me tell you a little bit. Just a real, real quick recap. Job lived in ancient times, and he, he had a, quite a good life at one point. Um, he was married. His kids had grown up. They were good kids. Uh, he had a nice place. He was wealthy. Back then, wealth was measured in, in livestock, and how many flocks and herds and whatnot you had. And Job had quite a number of them. He was a wealthy guy. And on top of all this, Job loved God. He lived a good life. Then one day, Job's life comes crashing down around him. His wealth disappears. His livestock is either stolen or killed. His children die in a horrible disaster when a building therein collapses upon them. And then to cap it all off, Job himself gets like some kind of disease or something where he's covered in sores, uh, painful sores from head to toe. Job is left in mourning. Right? He is miserable and his life is miserable. So his wife gives him some advice. She says to him, Job, just curse God and die. Be done with it. But Job doesn't. Then he has a bunch of friends that come and visit him. They give him all sorts of advice. All of it's bad advice. And Job doesn't listen to them. He keeps following God. He perseveres. And you know, eventually God blesses him. God actually restores Job's life and he ends up with more than he had before. The, the first part of Job's life was, seemed blessed, but the, the, the second part of his life, it was even more so. And James points this out to us to say, See, look, it's worth it. Do persevere. Do wait patiently because those who do are blessed. God isn't the kind of God that is hostile to you or, 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 or apathetic about you. He is, what does it say there? Um, compassionate and merciful. What he has in store for his people, what he'll give us when Jesus returns, that's beyond anything that this world can offer. That, that, that will be the true blessing, friends. Have you ever heard of a cost-benefit analysis? You kind of know what I'm talking about a little bit. Uh, apparently, so this is what you do. You, um, you've got a decision to make. You're not sure what to do. And so uh, on the one side, you list all the costs that are involved to you if you, if you do something. On the other side, all the benefits. And it's kind of supposed to help you make your decision, right? Uh, Shall I run through an example with you? Right, okay. Uh, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, should I, be, should I really be a Crows supporter? <laughs> I don't know. Let, let, let's talk about this. There's some costs involved, right? There's some costs like, let's be honest, the crows aren't doing too well right now. They seem to lose a lot. Um, maybe they'll beat the kangaroos this afternoon, but who knows? It's not fun supporting a team that's at the bottom line. So there's, there's, there's some costs involved, right? But then you think of, what, what are the benefits of being a crow supporter? Well, you know, you get to go to home games and you don't have to sit next to any port supporters, do you? <laughs> oh, that's a bad, sorry, port supporters. Barb put me up to that. She's a big Crows fan up there. It's not my fault. That's two bad jokes in one day, isn't it? Crikey. Um, you understand what I'm talking about, though. It's a cost-benefit analysis. You understand what it is? James is encouraging us to kind of do that for ourselves here. Waiting, pay, there's costs involved, right? We might suffer. There might be some doubt. It can be, it, there's costs involved. And at points in our life, we might feel that a lot. It might be hard to live as a follower of Jesus. 
But do you see what is on the benefit side? Eternity. In a new creation. No tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, sadness, pain, grief. It is the good life with God that goes on. Is there anything you could really place in the costs that would outweigh this benefit? Friends, I started, asking by, I started by, by, by asking that question. Why bother? Why bother with Christianity? Why bother with Jesus? It just doesn't seem to work out well for a lot of people a lot of the time. Why bother? Let me end by saying this. Do bother. Do bother. Friends, can you, see, you can see what's on the line, can't you? Do bother. When life gets hard, do bother about following Jesus. When distractions are everywhere, do bother about sticking with Jesus. Stay on track, friends. Persevere. Wait patiently. Because the Lord is coming. And when he comes, we will know real blessing. Keep following Jesus. Do bother. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he's coming back soon. So help us wait patiently, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.